The existence of objective right and wrong, good and evil, is, I think, the most powerful argument for the existence of God. Welcome to the Ryan Holmes Podcast, where our goal is to encourage Christian thinking and Christian living. This is episode number 10 and part two of our discussion on the problem of evil and suffering. Last week, we discussed the predictive nature of evil and suffering from a a biblical perspective. We also discussed the reality of an objective standard of right and wrong. It's, it's really important that if you, if you missed part one, that you go back and listen to that first before continuing on with part two, because we're just going to get right back into the discussion and it carries over um, from the end of last week's episode. So it's important that you listen to that first to have the context for going forward. All right. So This week, again, we're going to dive back into our discussion and we'll start with a question. Okay, so the question is this, why did I take the time I did to discuss the reality of these objective standards of good and evil? So why did I do this? The problem of evil or suffering is always used as an objection against the truth of Christianity. Something like this. How could a good God exist if there's all this evil in the world? What standard would the questioner be appealing to when they talk about evil? Remember our discussion on objective moral values and duties versus subjective last week. Uh, Is it an objective standard? Well, we've seen how it's hard to have an objective standard if God does not exist. Is it their subjective matter of opinion? Well, then that's just their opinion and nothing more. You see, it's hard for the atheist to justify a belief in in an objective standard of right and wrong. But the Christian doesn't have this problem. Let me be real clear for a second, okay? I'm not saying that the atheist cannot live a moral life. That's often an objection raised against the argument that I'm making here. There's most likely many atheists who live more moral lives than some Christians. The point is not whether you one can live a moral life. The point is whether one's worldview can justify a belief in objective moral right and wrong. Atheism cannot do this. Christianity can do this. And in order to argue against God on the basis of there being evil in this world, you must steal from the Christian worldview in order to argue against the Christian worldview. One of my favorite apologists named Frank Turek often points this out in his book called Stealing from God. You have to steal from God in in order to argue against him. So this so-called problem of evil is no problem at all. The Christian worldview can adequately justify a belief in objective right and wrong. The argument based on the problem of evil is actually a positive argument for the existence of God, not an argument against him. 
what I'd like to do next is, is actually take a look at why I believe evil does exist in this world and explain some reasons as to what suffering is intended for in the life of the believer and then close with uh, Jesus' purpose for coming to this earth. So for starters, why do I believe evil exists? I honestly think it's not surprising that evil does exist in our world. You see, God has created a world where the greatest expression of love is possible. The greatest expression of love is a love that is freely given. The truest form of love is a, is love that is free. You cannot force someone to love you. You cannot manipulate someone into loving you. Otherwise, it, it isn't truly love. This would be tantamount to Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome is where someone who is a captive develops feelings for their captor. So in a situation where someone is kidnapped, for example, what can often happen is that this person develops an affection for the person that has kidnapped them. It's an interesting phenomenon, but it certainly isn't love. I strongly believe that God has given us the ability to love him freely. Because this is the truest form of love. It isn't coerced. It isn't forced upon us. Here's where the potential can arise. Sorry, the potential for problem can arise. If you create a world where the truest form of love is possible, being free to love, then by default, the opposite is also a part of that created world. If we are free to love, this means that we are also free to not love. We are free to reject God's loving outstretched hand and go our own way. We are free to reject good and do evil. If God removed the freedom to do evil, then we would also lose the freedom to love and do good. These two are a package deal. You cannot have one without the other. Herein lies the reason for evil in this world. We live in a broken world because we have decided to abuse our freedom and reject God to go our own way. The fact that we abuse the freedom God has given us isn't his fault. Our freedom is an amazing gift from God because he's created everything. He created us. He literally holds us and everything together. We have no life outside of him. And yet, he still provides us with the freedom or the option to accept him or reject him. A loving God not only does not force love upon us, but furthermore, he respects our decision even if we choose to reject him. God will not force you to be with him if you don't want him. If humanity freely chooses to engage in evil activity, the responsibility is on us. We cannot look to blame God until we first take responsibility for our own actions. Before we continue, I really appreciate you tuning into this episode. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, or subscribe on whatever listening platform you might be using, and that'll just help boost its reach and visibility. If you wish to financially support the podcast and the work that I'm doing, please visit ryanholmespodcast.locals.com. Not only will you be supporting the podcast, but with Locals, you're actually joining a community a community of believers who have similar interests to you. You will receive early access to the episodes each week, along with other perks that are exclusive to our Locals community members. You can subscribe there for just $5 a month. 
If you're on YouTube, please like the video, comment, subscribe, and don't forget to hit the notification bell. Thanks again. I appreciate all the support. So now let's ask the question, can there be a purpose for evil and suffering in this world and in our lives? Let's first of all reference back to James chapter 1 and verse 2 through 4, where we are told to, quote, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I find it so interesting here that James tells his fellow believers something they already know. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There's no one saying, but James, you don't know what I'm going through. James, you don't understand. My pain is different. James tells them what they already know. The testing of our faith produces something in us. Clearly, just this passage alone makes it clear that trials are useful. Not always desired, but useful. And James even commends us to count it a joy when we do face those trials. Steadfastness is what is, is what is produced. It's produced in us through those trials. Synonymous terms for steadfastness would be things like constancy, endurance, patience. I found this great description of what steadfastness is. Listen to this. It is the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and suffering. And steadfastness leads us to being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect meaning something that is mature. It speaks of something that is brought to its end, finished, wanting nothing necessary to completeness. Complete meaning complete in all of its parts, in no part wanting or unsound, it is complete, entire, whole, so that we are lacking in nothing. There is a sense of refinement in the language being used here, as precious metals that are refined through the fire, a more valuable product comes out on the other side. There is a literal sense that trials have the potential to drive us closer to God and even allow us to be more conformed even further to the image of Christ. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6 through 7. It says this, "In this you rejoice, though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Maybe we would view trials differently if we had this perspective towards what the objective is of trials being present in our lives. But there's more to consider. Let's read a passage in 2 Corinthians. This passage is uh, is where Paul actually lists all of the things that he has been through in his ministry. Paul is actually boasting about who he is and the things that he has endured. It's an ironic passage because Paul had received accusations from false prophets about his being an apostle. Paul was essentially using these listed experiences as reason to justify and even vindicate himself. The thing I want to point out is that Paul did not use these experiences as reason to doubt or question God. 
but he actually uses them as proof of his legitimate faith and ministry. Let's listen to what Paul has to say. He says this in uh, chapter 11, verses 21 through 30. It says this, But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. I'm reminded of Acts chapter 5, where the scripture reads of the apostles being beaten in Jerusalem. Chapter 5 and verse 40 through 42 says this, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is, sorry, that the Christ is Jesus. It seems as though, at least to the apostles and Paul, that suffering for their faith was actually a badge of honor. Notice how the apostles not only rejoiced, but they continued to serve and proclaim the truth of the gospel. I'm also reminded of the thorn that Paul had described himself to have endured, some sort of physical ailment that plagued his life. Although asking God to remove the ailment from his life, God said no. Verse 9 tells us this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul knew that through his hardships, through his trials, through his weakness, the power of Christ would be manifested greatly in his life. From these few passages, we gain an understanding that yes, there is a purpose behind the suffering that we face in this world. The suffering is there to help us mature, to help us grow, for our faith to become strong, to drive us toward God, for us to become more like Christ, for God to be glorified in our lives. The list could go on and on. God leverages the bad in our lives for good and for his purpose. Maybe you're already thinking about Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 where it reads, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I know we might not always be able to see it, but this is a promise from God. Let us not forget 
Jesus' words in John 16:33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So how has Jesus overcome the world? Well, the evil and suffering we experience and see in our world is the very purpose for his coming. He came to redeem us from our own sin. He came to right the wrongs. He came to wipe every tear from our eyes. Jesus says in John 3, verse 17 through 18, that for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And of course, I'm pretty sure we all know verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So the Christian worldview is no stranger to evil and suffering. In fact, it predicts the reality of evil and suffering in this world. But God does not leave this world in that state. He promises to make it right and one day deal with evil once and for all. I found this quote from a man named Paul David Tripp in his devotional book, New Morning Mercies, which I I found was fitting for this discussion. It says this, If God intended for all the days of your life to be easy, they would be. No, in grace, he intends for your days to be his tools of refinement. Christian, God can use the suffering of this world for your good and for his glory. The question is, will you allow those situations to shape you and mold you, or will you use them as an excuse to run from him? And also, we've now seen clearly that the so-called problem of evil and suffering is no problem at all. A perfectly good and powerful God is not incompatible with the world where evil and suffering exist. And just because he hasn't addressed it now, it doesn't mean that he won't in the future. He will, and his delay is actually an extension of his grace toward mankind, because it offers up time for as many people as possible to come to salvation found in Jesus Christ. We've also seen that raising the objection of evil and suffering as an argument against God actually has to steal from God in order to argue against him. The existence of objective right and wrong, good and evil, is, I think, the most powerful argument for the existence of God, rather than an argument against him. And I will close us out for part two in this week's episode with my one of my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any questions for me, thoughts, comments, even topics you might want me to discuss in a future episode, please send me an email to ryanholmespodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to visit ryanholmespodcast.locals.com to join our community. I appreciate any support. And if you're on the YouTube, like, comment, subscribe, hit the bell. And ultimately, please share this podcast and let's encourage others to think about their faith and live it out. See you next week.